I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. You know, when you ask a child to do something for you, the response most naturally is not, how can I do it? Or, or when can I do it for you? Or where would you like me to go? A common response to you asking a child to do something for you is, why? Or why should I do that? Or why should I do it for you? What is in it for me? That's not a problem only for children. It's a problem for all sinners. We are not naturally inclined to obey without question. Even when we know the person who is asking of us loves us and we know that they would never ask us to do anything that wasn't for our good, when we're asked or told to do something, we need a reason. Some of the things the Bible tells us to do uh, come without immediate or clear reasoning. Uh, or maybe we just don't understand the reason at the time. Now, truthfully, it, it makes sense for us to question another human being, right? Uh, somebody who asks us to do something. Because human beings are prone to make mistakes. Sometimes instructions are wrong or misleading. Uh, other times, motivation from the person is wrong or the goals are not good either. So we ask for clarification. That makes complete sense. The more you trust somebody and the more you trust their abilities, the more you trust their knowledge and their love for you, the less you question them. So when God asks us to do something, our response is based on faith or trust in him. Our response to God asking us to do something is based on our knowledge of who he is and what he's like and what he's done before. Our, our response to God is based on our experience of his love towards us. So that even if he were to ask us to do something without immediate or clear explanation or reason, we would still say, yes, Lord, send me. I will go. I will do as you have asked me to do. That is the case when our faith is growing and flourishing. But there are times when our faith, when my faith, when your faith is either fresh or it's faint. It may not look like Noah's faith. After being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear he constructed an ark. Hebrews eleven seven tells us. Or your faith might not look like Abraham's who by faith obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. He went out, not knowing where he was going. He walked by faith. Or, or Abraham, who when God asked him to take his son up the mountain and do an impossible thing as a father, he went immediately. There are times where your faith is either fresh or it's faint. By fresh, it might be a new faith. You, you might have a, a newfound faith, a rededication of your life to the Lord. It might be the first time you've come to faith and you're, you're, you're new in this. And so... You don't fully know what God is able to do and what he's accomplished in the past. And you haven't had the years of experience to know, I can trust him when he tells me to do something, even if it's hard. I know in the end, it, God always prevails and this is always good for me. So when you're new in the faith, when you're, when you're young as a Christian, it's sometimes hard to walk by faith and hard to just trust God. Um, especially if there's a clear, uh, sorry, a clear command without a clear a reason when you're fresh in the faith, it's often hard because you maybe don't fully know the experience of his love through hard times and good times. And so 
what, what might be before you might be hard. And so maybe you have a hard time walking by faith in that situation. So your faith may be fresh, but it may also be faint or, or, or far off or you just be weary in your faith. It may be that you're tired, maybe that you are in a season of spiritual dryness. It may be in a time in your life where you are seemingly far from him. And so then it's harder in those seasons to, to trust him, not because of him, but because of where we're at and, and our ability to lay it all before him and to walk by faith rather than by sight. What happens often sometimes for us is um, we'll be walking by faith and then um, over time we just seem to start trusting in the system. You know, if you had a solid devotional time for 15 years and it was always at 6 a.m. and it was always really good and then something happened and you got disrupted in that pattern and now you think, I'm going to trust in my pattern, I'm going to trust in my system Instead of now walking by faith in a new way, maybe if God has asked you to do something or asked you to get outside your comfort zone, it's not what you're comfortable with. Sometimes if you are faint or you're weary or you're not fresh in, in your faith, in your being ability to trust him, instead you, you realize you started to trust in other things, your systems, even your Christianity and, and the implications of that and the way you, you live out your faith. Sometimes you can realize that you're walking by that instead of by faith. Well, the truth is, there are many times that we question God when we are told to do something. But what about the times he gives us a clear reason, a, a clear end goal? For times that these, we're to be so thankful for the clarity in the scripture. And today's passage is one of these, where he asks us to do something and it is abundantly clear. He gives us the very reason and the end goal. Where God is asking us to do something that may be out of our comfort zone. It may be uncomfortable. It may bring your own convictions into question. God's asking you to do something that may humble you. It will humble you. God's asking you to do something that will be difficult. God asks you, as we will see in this passage, to welcome or accept someone who practices their faith differently than you. Same faith. Same Lord, same means of coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they practice their faith differently than you, and they live in ways that you won't. A person that lives in ways that you won't, your convictions will not allow you to live that way, and there's a brother or sister in Christ who does. And so the hard part of this is God commands us to welcome and accept them. And that's hard, because we, we differ on our opinion about what's compatible with our evangelical Christian faith. What's compatible with this? Are tattoos compatible with a Christian? There's disagreement over that. And some would say, well, no, like, that's so against the Bible. Others would say, no, like, I'm free. I'm free in that. There's those who consume alcohol or don't consume alcohol. 52% of evangelicals say it is not compatible with Christianity to consume alcohol. That is a dividing issue, a divisive issue. But here the text is going to tell us, accept that. Accept those brothers who disagree with you. Accept those who live out a different conviction than you. Accept them and welcome them. Walk with them. Is it compatible with uh, solid evangelical Christian faith to speak in tongues or to have people think they can speak in tongues? Like, is that compatible? And 
that conviction that some people hold is that a salvation issue. And so we discussed before the idea of the theological triage and needing to determine uh, what is the of utmost importance, of, of first importance, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If this conviction or if this belief changes the way a person is saved, then that is something you absolutely divide over. That is, you absolutely uh, refuse to fellowship with people. You um, call them out on their error. If they try to say that there is another way to the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is another way to heaven apart from Christ, if they try to say it's Jesus plus works, if they try to uh, say anything about the Lord in terms of maybe he didn't actually die on the cross or he wasn't raised, those are things of first importance that we say, no, we, we must disagree upon this and, and, and we are not of the same fellowship. We don't believe the same things. We are not brothers and sisters in Christ and I don't think you're saved. But then there are second and third tier issues, things that uh, they may be urgent, they may be important, they may determine what, what uh, church denomination or, or body you gather with. But they're not things to say that person's not a Christian over. I gave the example of uh, Baptists and solid uh, like Orthodox Presbyterians or, or Reformed. Is We have significant things we disagree about, uh, things that we would not be able to plant churches together about, but yet... Um, we gladly say they're brothers and sisters in the Lord and that they are doing great ministry in, in many areas across the, the world. And so uh, we don't disagree on them. We welcome. But there are things that we disagree on, even within churches, right? Is the, the end times. Do you believe in that we'll be raptured pre-tribulation? Do you believe that it'll be post-tribulation? Do you believe it, you know, what, what's the millennium to you? What do you think about the, the age of the earth? Do you have to agree on the age of the earth? It has to be uh, over 6, 000, just around 6,000 years old? Or, or can it be millions of years old? Those are things that Christians disagree with and have different convictions on. And this text is going to tell you, you have to welcome them. Accept them. Even if uh, it's difficult. Let's take a look at the text here. Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And then just one verse from chapter 15. Romans 14, 1 to 3. This is God's word. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. And then look at chapter 15, verse 7. A good summary of the whole section. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We begin there in 15 verse 7. Kind of the summary of it all is therefore. So the reason you're to do all that is being asked of you in chapter 14 of this text. Therefore, welcome one another. That's what you're being asked to do. As Christ has welcomed you, and it's for a goal, the glory of God. The reason you do it is to glorify God. The reason you welcome and accept a brother or sister who has maybe vastly different ideas than you or convictions than you. You welcome them. You accept them as a brother and sister. Uh, you encourage them in the faith. is because the glory of God. It says in there in 15.7, welcome one another. 
as Christ has welcomed you. So if you are to welcome other people, you first must understand how Christ has welcomed you. Because that's the way in which he tells us to do it. If we just think, welcome one another as we're comfortable, welcome one another as much as we know, then we're going to do it just based upon our convictions and our comfort level. But here we are blown out of the water to do something hard. Welcome them just as in the same way that Christ has welcomed you. So then you think, well, how has Christ welcomed me? Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 is very, very helpful in pointing us to uh, and really even summarizing how Christ has welcomed us. Because uh, when we began back in Romans and we started in chapter 14, we, we did a survey of the whole book of Romans in order to remind us who we were and where we came from. And the only way we were saved, the only way we were welcomed, and then who we are and who we're becoming There was the reminder, don't forget Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, that none is righteous, no, not one, that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We we must never forget that. And so Ephesians is a great place for us to go to remember who we were and how Christ has welcomed us in different ways, how he has welcomed us. Ephesians chapter 1, I want to read a few verses there and then into chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verses uh, 5 through 9, says this. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1 says this. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. So even there, in those few verses in Ephesians 1, verse 5 to 9, you have a number of ways that Christ has welcomed you. First, it said there at the beginning of verse 5, he has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Adoption, meaning we did not belong. We were not a part of his family. We were not um, raised in or born in or walked in his family and his lineage at all. But we were adopted. Adoption is voluntary. You're never forced to adopt someone. And so adoption from God to us was a voluntary acceptance. And not just an acceptance, but a welcoming in and calling family, calling sons and daughters, having the very same rights and privileges of your very own. Seeing no distinction between family and not family. Bloodline, DNA does not matter in adoption. He has welcomed you in that sort of way where it does not matter the family that you were born into. It matters what you've been welcomed into. And so when you think about you, you didn't belong, but now you do. He has adopted you through the Lord Jesus. And then it says further, he did it to the, for his praise, for his glory, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We have the second thing is redemption. 
redemption. He has redeemed us. The, the very thing we did not deserve is a second chance, is, is a repaired relationship with God. The, the relationship that we had broken, that we had tarnished, that we had ruined, He redeemed us. He made it right. He welcomed us even though we were not welcome. And He forgave us. He forgave us our trespasses. And who were our trespasses against? But Him. So God has welcomed us in this way. He forgave our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. He was gracious that He lavished upon us. Grace upon grace. Let's look in chapter 2 of Ephesians. It tells us a little further how He has welcomed us. Chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Among whom you all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Even in those few verses there, verses 3 to 7 of Ephesians 2, there are so many ways which he has welcomed us. Well, we once lived according to our own passions, according to our flesh, contrary to the way God had designed us to live. We live for ourselves, not for him. He made us to live for his glory, and we lived for ours. We lived for the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, not his desires for us. So then we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But then him, being rich in mercy, by his great love, he has given us new life. Even though we were dead, he made us alive. He has welcomed us to a newness of life, a fresh start, a new way. He's welcomed us and accepted us by giving us a fresh opportunity. By grace, you have been saved. You've been rescued from what you once were. And he has raised us up and seated us in the heavenly places. He, he took us who walked in the passions of our own flesh, who lived for ourselves, who were down in the mud and mire. He took us and he lifted us not just out of the mire, not just cleaned us off, but he put us in the heavenly places, in the kingly places, to inherit alongside with the Lord Jesus Christ all that belongs to him as those who are adopted and those who are part of his now kingdom. He's, it said at the end, in 7 there, he would show us his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. The way he has welcomed us and accepted us was not out of spite. It wasn't harshly, it wasn't like, get in here, I need you to be my slave or my servant. That was not the way he welcomed. He did not say, uh, you can just leave who you are at the door. No, but in kindness, he came alongside us. He embraced us and loved us for the people he made us to be. With all of our unique abilities and inabilities, he was kind toward us in Christ Jesus. 
And further down in chapter 2 of Ephesians, starting at verse 12, it says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh this dividing wall of hostility. Again, always the the best way for us to appreciate the love of the Lord towards us is to remember. Remember where we have come from. He says, remember, you were separated from Christ. You had no right to even get near Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth. You were not part of his kingdom. You were not part of it. You were not even near to the city of God. You were alienated and you were strangers to the covenant of promise. All the promises that are found in the scriptures of hope, of God being their God, of them being his people, of God never leaving his people, of God saying that I promise that you will Um, live eternally. It says there we were strangers. We were strangers to those covenants. And because of that, we had no hope. We were without God. That's who we were. But now in Christ Jesus, those of us who were far off, what did he do? How did he welcome us? He brought us near. He literally brought us near to Christ, to himself. We were separated. Now we're close. We were alienated. Now we're apart. We were strangers, now we're family, and now we are recipients of the promise. He is our peace. There was hostility between us, between other people as well, and he is the one who reconciled us to God. He reconciled it. He made us right. Uh, Romans chapter 5 tells us that we were at war with God. We were enemies of God. And it was through Christ that we now have Peace. Colossians chapter 1 says, uh, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace. That's what we have. That's how he has welcomed us in Christ Jesus. Further down in Ephesians chapter 2, verse, beginning of verse 18, it says, For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So there are no longer strangers and aliens. You are, sorry, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We have access That's how he's welcomed us. He's given us access to the Father. We read in Hebrews that we can approach the throne of grace because of Christ. We have access to God. Instead of God being the far off enemy opposition, the one who we wage war against through Christ, he's welcomed us and says, welcome, come on, come on in. Crawl up on my lap as your father and and whisper in my ear your, your desires and your pleas for mercy. Your aches and your pains. You're, you have now access to the Father. 
Because you're no longer strangers and you're no longer aliens. You're fellow citizens. You belong to this kingdom now. You've been welcomed in. You've been adopted. You've been given a new passport. You belong to this kingdom. And you're not aliens, but you are saints. And you are, I love it, members of the household of God. He's welcomed you not just to generally enjoy some blessings far off, or generally enjoy something over there. But no, he welcomes you into his very own home. That's how he has welcomed you, into his own home. It's amazing. And there, also he says, you are being built up into a holy temple, into the dwelling place for God himself by the Spirit. That's how we have been welcomed by Christ. We have been welcomed by Christ and through adoption, through redemption, through his great love where he has seated us in the heavenly places. We have been welcomed, though though we were far off, he has brought us near. Though we were strangers, he has made us citizens and members of his own household. There's so much welcome there. And, and even Jesus himself. How did he say uh, that he would welcome us? Come, all who are weary and heavy laden. You got burdens. You got stuff in your life. You have, uh, you're just tired and weary. Come. I'm going to welcome you. I'm going to be gentle to you. I'm going to be um, loving and kind towards you. Come, and I will give you rest. This is how Christ has welcomed us. So when it says in Romans 15, 7, summarizing what we're to do and why we're to do it in Romans chapter 14, it says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We do it for the glory of God. So that is motivation in itself. The very reason he gives us is to glorify God. This is how you glorify God. And, and that, as a Christian, is how we're supposed to gauge in life what we're to do or not do. Does it glorify God? Or does it not? And here he says, if you do not welcome a brother or sister in Christ, if you do not accept them because you have a difference of opinion, you do not glorify God. You're defaming God. You're displeasing God. So because the goal is the glory of God and because he he shows us how we're to do it, well, Christ has welcomed you. You didn't deserve it. You don't belong naturally. You got different stuff. Welcomed. So it says, welcome one another in that same way. So then at the beginning of Romans uh, 14, where it's talking about these two different people with two different convictions, it says, as for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him. Welcome him. And then it ends verse 3 by saying, for God has welcomed him. So welcome him. So if, if Christ has welcomed us in a certain way, with open arms, with grace, with mercy, uh, with forgiveness, with kindness, bringing us into his own family, putting his own reputation on the line, putting his own life on the line to welcome us. It says, that's how we are to welcome him. In the same way, welcome him. Welcome him. The question to you then and to me is, do we do that? Do we welcome believers who have vastly different opinions than us? And that's where I said it's hard. And God asks us to do some things that are really hard sometimes. And I think this is very difficult because we have deep-seated convictions that as a Christian, I don't think I can do that. Or as a Christian, I think I must do this. 
and other believers in Christ, brothers and sisters, don't agree. So it's hard to welcome them, to accept them, to be kind towards them, to bring them into my own household, to, uh, to welcome them with forgiveness and grace, to, if they have wronged us, make sure that they are redeemed. If we can do anything to redeem them, do so. And make sure that they are not separated or far off. Make sure they're not aliens or strangers, but that they feel like and are welcomed as citizens of the kingdom of God. We welcome them in the same way. Bring them into our own household. It's amazing how we are to welcome those with differing opinions. If Christ has welcomed you when you don't deserve it, when you're immature, when you have convictions that are not right, they're not pure. You know, there's always the argument about like, well, when we get to heaven, we'll figure out who was right. You know, when it comes to the disagreements and the spats we have in church, we all have things that we are not right on and uh, that we have to hold fairly loosely in our hands and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be wrong on this. I think the, the uh, an end times position is one of those where since, since Christ has declared that he would come again, there has been disagreement on when he would come again, what that coming again looks like. It, because and some people say, well, but it's in the Bible, it's, it's this. Yeah, but it's also, you know, just as clear to another believer and scholar and someone who is not immature in their faith in a different way. And so uh, we all have differing opinions, but the question is, do we understand how God has welcomed us? Because that, he says, is the motivation and the way in which we're to do it. It's to remember how Christ has welcomed you. Do you remember? Because if you do, then your faith will be stronger. As he's asking you to walk by faith and obey his command to welcome those who you disagree with. We need to have that faith that remembers who he is and what he has done. And, and the experience of his love towards us. The love that we don't deserve and you think someone else might not deserve. You're to welcome them as Christ has welcomed you. So then, what is a welcome? Is it just a mat outside your door? What is a warm welcome? What is being welcoming? You know, there's a big difference between someone who's welcoming and someone who's hospitable. And someone who's welcoming, they might not even really care about you. They might give you a warm welcome to say hello, smile at you. But to be truly and welcoming as Christ was welcoming, you have to be hospitable. You have to welcome them into your own home. To bear burdens for them. To stand on their behalf if you need to. Stand at their defense if you need to. That's how Christ welcomed you, remember? That's how he brought you into his own family. He took you out of the muck and mire and he brought you into his own heavenly places. So we, if necessary take the weight from someone. We take the burden from someone. We feel the pain for someone. That's how we welcome them. And we don't just welcome them with a, a surface smile and hope they go away. We're hospitable to them. The way Christ has welcomed you was everlastingly, right? And so you might, want, you might be tempted with a, with a believer who you disagree with to just say, all right, I'll put up with them for this time, right? Like, I'll put up with them for an hour and that's it. Like that, my, they have overstayed their welcome. That's not the way Christ has welcomed you, has it? Especially when he's welcomed you and you screw up the next day or he forgives you and you do it again tomorrow. 
He has welcomed you everlastingly. And so in the same way, when there is a believer in Christ, you may struggle with their conviction. You're to welcome them everlastingly. And remember that they will stand with you side by side in glory, singing his praises for his glory. And so you practice now. You have the same goal in mind, the glory of God. The people here in Romans chapter 14 who disagreed significantly on laws they should keep or not keep, those two people both had the same motivations. They did it not for just personal gratification. They both did it because they thought it honored God. One abstained from food because he thought it honored God. And that's good. But another one embraced food because he thought and was convicted that that honored God. And that's good. And that's where it's so hard because there are many things like I mentioned a few examples earlier is, you know, the age of the earth or alcohol or tattoos or or, you know, the address code, whatever may have you. Those are things that are really not even secondary or tertiary issues, I think. And and yet sometimes we struggle to welcome people and, and not just put up with people like that, but to actually welcome them as Christ has welcomed us. Amazing. In the same way, we welcome him. Chapter of chapter fourteen, verse one says, "Welcome him, accept him, bring him in." Who are we then to reject a person that God has accepted? Think about that. You know, maybe at some points in your walk, you may have think thought like, "I'm not sure if they're even a believer." And, and the real struggle, as we discussed last week, is like. Yeah, there are first-tier issues, right? But are you willing to say that this thing or that makes someone a Christian or not a Christian? And you have to be very careful. You have to be very, very careful what you say about that, right? Because what you're not just doing is minimizing that person. You're minimizing uh, potentially the Lord Jesus Christ and his work in their life. And you may be robbing God of glory by saying, well, that person, because they drank alcohol, is not a Christian. Or because they have tattoos. That's, that's no way a Christian can have a tattoo, Right, And so, what are you saying? Not just about them, but what are you saying about Christ? Is if he has welcomed them, he has accepted them, you think you can reject them? Especially reject them, not just in your household of faith, but reject them as a believer. It's not acceptable. But who are we to ignore a person who God has sought out and saved? That we may disagree with them, or we won't want to ignore them. That's not an option. We're to welcome them. Who are we to dismiss a person who God has received? All, all who come. All who call upon the name of the Lord. All of them. Former gang members, tattooed face. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who are we to dismiss if God has received them? We welcome them. Who are we to disown a person... That God has adopted because we disagree in a significant way. We have no right to disown. And so we have to be very, very careful when we try to make judgment calls on, on the convictions that people have. The question we should always have in mind is, does this determine if they're saved or not? Really, is it a gospel issue? If it's not a gospel issue, God is commanding me to welcome and accept them as a brother or sister in Christ. doesn't mean I agree with them on everything. But it means I love them, accept them, and I'm for their good. And I will bear burdens with them, and I will stand side by side with them when I can for the faith of the gospel, because I'm commanded to here. Welcome him. Welcome him. 
And it, the verse 3 says, because or for, God has welcomed him. The reason you welcome the person is because God has welcomed them, just like he welcomed you. When you didn't deserve that chance, your convictions or opinions were maybe wrong, God welcomed you. God rescued you. God, in Christ, bore your burden. God cared for your soul. He cared for your eternity. So just as God has welcomed you in that way, God has welcomed others in that way that you disagree with. And so you're commanded, as I'm commanded, to welcome him. So when God asks us to do something, our response is based on our faith, right? And our trust. And so do you trust God that he's got this person in control? That they may have convictions that are vastly different than you, and you may even question you know, their maturity level. But do you trust God enough that, that he's taking care of them, and he's taking care of their convictions, and that he's got you in their life for a reason, perhaps? And it's so interesting, right? Because often, even as I was just saying that, like I think about someone who is like, I think is less mature in the faith. But, uh, and it, like again, I said the other day, like a, lot, a few Sundays ago, the idea of we're on the sliding scale. To some people, we're really conservative. To other people, we're really liberal. Depends on what part of the world you go to and what Christian you phone up tomorrow and tell them kind of how you live out your Christian life. They may think you're super liberal. Others may say, wow, you are a fundamentalist. And so we are on this sliding scale. Depends on who we meet. But what is our faith in the Lord? What is our, our trust in the Lord is... My job is to glorify God in all things. He's telling me to welcome them. And that means that I'm going to encourage them in their faith, in the, in the Lord. I'm going to encourage them as they walk with Jesus, even though it's different in some ways than my walk with Jesus. Our response to God in, is also based upon our knowledge of who he is. God is all-knowing. God is, he, he knows them all together. He knows us all together. And yet he welcomes them as he welcomes us. So we respond to God by saying, yes, I'll welcome them. And we respond to God by knowing our experience of his love towards us. If we've experienced his love towards us and we realize what he has done for us in Christ, we will, without a shadow of a doubt, be more able and willing to obey this command, to welcome those who are, who are different than us. To welcome them. People who disagree on whether you should vaccinate or not vaccinate whether you can uh, do this or do that. When we experience God's love towards us and are reminded how Christ has welcomed us, we can walk by faith, trusting him. We can walk in love, forgiving, and being forgiven for our mistakes. And that's maybe one thing you need to think about, is how have you, maybe in the past, been judgmental of a person who you think just walks more liberally than you, and you think, that's not right. I know you would not be willing to say they're not a Christian, but you, you've, in your heart and in your mind, maybe to others, you've judged them. Confess that sin today, and, and if it's necessary, call them. If they know that you've judged them, um, confess it to them. Even if they don't know, you know what? That, there's value in that. Sometimes when you sin against a person they don't know, if you've slandered them or gossiped about them or you've been angry in your heart at them or bitter at them, they may not even ever know. But there is value in confessing to them anyways and asking for their forgiveness because it was wrong. You wronged them. And so perhaps that's the case. Perhaps you've judged people because of their convictions. Or perhaps you've belittled people because of their other convictions. Oh, those people who wear skirts all the time. 
Oh, I can't believe they wear head coverings. Oh, how ridiculous, right? Perhaps you've belittled someone. And maybe not even to that extreme. But do you need to confess that? That it was, it was wrong and, and you are to welcome them and to encourage them in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's difficult what God has called us to do, especially when we disagree. But we do it just as he has done it for us and we do it for his glory. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are so holy and pure, and we are not. We were once aliens and strangers, enemies. We were foreign, and we had no hope in this world, but yet you welcomed us. You welcomed us in in the most incredible and miraculous way through the love of the Lord Jesus towards us. We did not deserve it. We still don't deserve it. We'll never deserve it. That's all of grace, and so we thank you for it. And we pray that we would respond to others in the same way, with grace upon grace. That we would strive for unity in the gospel, for your glory, God. We never want you to to be defamed by our hearts or by our attitudes or our actions anytime. So would you help us, we pray, to consider maybe the the areas we need to confess, the, the areas we struggle with in belittlement or in judgment, Help us then to also not just be clear of judgment or belittlement, but, but embracing welcome, embracing hospitality intentionally towards those we disagree with. God, provide opportunities. Help us to walk by faith, trusting you through the process of obedience. We pray this for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen.